what is the definition of barbecue? What, what it can be? You know, that, that's the question that uh, up-and-coming pitmasters should be asking themselves. Uh, what is the legacy you're going to leave behind? Barbecue's our passion, and that's just what you'll get. Where the Kim Burns is a barbecuer, tales from the pits. Hey, Brian. Hey, Andrew. We've been talking a little bit about BBQ Distro for uh, for a little while now. We've talked about their new monthly subscription box, and now we're excited to announce the first month's box is going to be... Blood Brothers Barbecue themed. Blood Brothers Barbecue from Bel Air, Texas, but those are the three boys from A-Leaf, Texas. If you guys are familiar with that area, we are because we, you know, we're Houstonians. Um, but some of the most exciting barbecue around right now, just creative specials, so much flavor in their rubs and sauces. So it's really cool to be able to get that delivered to your door. Yeah, really unique uh, flavor profiles from these guys, and so I'm really excited that this is a box that you'll be able to get, even if you can't make it down and try out the Blood Brothers Barbecue or get to the Barbecue Distribution Headquarters. You can sign up for the subscription box, and this will be the July kit. Yep, so go to bbqdistro.com slash tales for all the details on how to subscribe for this month's box and future month's boxes. Again, you're going to get two featured products from Blood Brothers, it's going to have some offers from partners like Lone Star, 44 Farms, and others. You're going to get live Q&A opportunities from different pitmasters across Texas, videos from Joe Zavala cooking with Blood Brothers. It's going to be really exciting and really cool for anybody that's getting this box delivered to their door. Check them out. Once again, bbqdistro.com forward slash tales. First, like to thank everybody out here at Charleston Wine and Food. Um, our show is Tales from the Pits. I am Brian. And I'm Andrew. And today we are here with? Hector Garate. And Hector, your restaurant is? Palmito Barbecue. And you are? Marvin Ross. And Marvin, your business is? The Peculiar Pig Farm. Okay. So we have um, one of the newer people on the scene here in Charleston uh, with Hector. And you're, you're the supplier for his hogs. Uh, and then we'll talk about kind of how quality hogs affect the food and why it's important. But let's talk a little bit about your background and how you got into cooking barbecue and where you're from. Yeah, so I'm a Puerto Rican uh, pit master, I guess. <laughs> That's what you would call it. Uh, I have a lot of Texas and Carolina inspirations, but my influences are Puerto Rican uh, and the core of my barbecue. Uh, I started cooking with my great-grandmother in the kitchen, and from there I evolved to different things in life and eventually ended up uh, where I'm at right now. And, yeah. and what was what was barbecue or live fire cooked meats for you when you were growing up? Well, when we were growing up, we, we do have barbecue in Puerto Rico. It's a different uh, way that we cook it. We do a rotation. Uh, it is a whole hog, but it's not the same way they cook it in the Carolinas. Um, and we do have adobo con gandules. We have um, other different sides that uh, go with that. Uh, guineito, which has the vinegar that you need uh, with the fat of the pork. So all those things connect. And, you know, when you start, once I moved to the Carolinas, you start evolving and evolving and evolving. And you have different experiences. And that becomes basically uh, part of you. So And, and obviously very pork heavy. Um, in, in Country, yeah, yeah, we are definitely pork heavy. There's definitely like uh, cattle too, but it's not as something like Texas or something like that that is not noticeable by any means. Yeah. And Marvin, where are you? South Carolina, born and raised? Or? Yes, um, I was born and raised in the town of Dorchester, South Carolina. Um, I went to college in Charleston and pretty much came right back to the farm. What is your what is your background around uh, farming or around barbecue? What kind of what means barbecue to you? Um, with us, barbecue was pretty much whatever we grew on the farm. You know, that's just the way we did it. Whether it was whole hog, chickens, um, we done half cows, so that's kind of what it means. When when you've done a half cow, are you doing it? Are you doing it like whole hog? Yes. Or are you sectioning it? Yes, we doing the whole like be like a half a cow. We'll dig a pit. And we would just shovel coals like you shovel on the hog and just cook it till it pulls. I tried that once. It, it <laughs> wasn't successful yeah, for Brian. Yeah. Uh, John Miller, who um, is, is from the uh, Louis Miller legacy family, he, he did two, two four quarters of a cow. 
And it's incredibly difficult. And that's one of the things, you know, even cooking hog, when you're doing whole hog, because you have the different cuts of meat, you've, you've got to shovel the coals appropriately to make sure that they're finishing on time. Um, from, from your experience from that, I mean, cooking half a cow was, was, to me, that's incredibly difficult. How was it cooking that? Well, I mean, I guess when I was younger, it was, it's like anything, when you start with something, it's, it's more difficult. But as we did it, it just became like second nature. You know, it's just, you know what to do and you just get better at it over time. And, and were these, I mean, did you have pits, pits built for this or was this, you know, like a cinder, cinder block situation or you know, how, how did you guys cook your hogs and cook your whole animals? Well, the first time I learned to cook a hog, it was in the pit, like a, in the ground. You know, we would dig a, I guess a pit out, a box area, and then we would put the hog on a grate or whatever rods or whatever we had, wrap it in. This is the way I learned it now, when I'm describing it to you. Yeah. We would wrap it in um, fencing, mm -hmm. and then we would turn it. And I mean, I mean, literally how hog cooking started. I mean, yeah. that's the, yeah. I mean, when they say pits, that's where the term came from. Like you said, I mean, from, from an earthen pit, yeah. yeah. And that was the same way we did a cow. I don't cook them, the hogs the same way now as I learned to do it, but um, that's the way I learned to do it. And so, Hector, as you got to South Carolina, what what drew you to, to learning, you know, more of the South Carolina traditional barbecue styles? Uh, so, eating it, trying it, uh, obviously, uh, I like the Carolina style a lot. Uh, the South Carolina style started evolving with me when I met Marvin, and he started introducing me to, well, we went to his butchery with his family and trying all his flavors, and from there, it started evolving into... Um, kind of my take on it a little bit, but it's heavy influenced by Marvin as well and our friendship and everything that I, you know. One of the things that we've seen in the revitalization of whole hog cooking is a focus on higher quality hogs. I mean, in the past it was just whatever was on the, on the property. Mm -hmm. how, how does that make a difference? What is, you know, as, as heritage brands, breeds, or Hereford, uh, the other breeds, like first with Hector, how does that impact the out outcome, the final product? Well, to begin with, the uh, fat content and quality is different because the animal has more time to develop the fat way better. Uh, also, the feet the Marvin gives his animals uh, is uh, best. Is some of the best. Is I mean, it's heirloom um, um, that they uh, process in the community, and they feed the hogs with that too as well. So. Just this whole process of being woodlock and being in, um, around the woods and everything, it just it creates a better product. And you can tell when you're cooking it. You can smell the fat. You can the way the fat renders. And uh, we know that there's flavor in fat. So it's really important to, to me, like, if you're not cooking the whole hog that way, I mean, a heritage breed, uh, it's, just, it's just hard. You know, it's just a hard thing. I don't know. I feel like you're going to have a lot of difficulties also. And Marvin, tell us a little bit about your about your hogs and how they're how they're raised, how they're bred. You know, what, what's your process on peculiar pig farms of how you raise your your pigs? Um, we run our hogs through a woodlot rotation. Um, naturally, we see hogs in their natural environment. They're not on a pasture. They're in woods. So this thing they have about pasture raised pork. I mean, I, I guess it's a, a fad, but naturally you would find them in you know woodlot environments. So we try to replicate that, and that's the way I learned from my grandfather. That's the way he did it. Um, far as feed, uh, everything's pretty much from our community. Or I think the furthest distance is 25 miles. It's another farm that we get stuff from, and um, we use mostly heirloom grains, uh, yellow dead corn. Uh, Jimmy Red Corn, Seattle uh, Red Peas, yeah. Iron Clay Peas is the majority of the ration and whatever they get for while they forage through the woods. Does that make, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm totally clueless here, but does that type of feed make for literally a, a happier pig, which turns into an active pig? I mean, what, what does, like, we've heard a lot about the Johnny I mean, Red Corn, it's, which it's is... It's the you are what you eat mantra yes, of food, correct. you know, and... Yes, and, I, and I, I agree with that statement. Um, not only do we know what you eat with the pork, we know what 
that pig ate. So, I mean, I think that's very important in the, the quality of the meat, you know, what you feed the animal. Uh, as you know, pigs don't have veins. So what they eat is pretty much stays in the, you know, through the socket of the life, no sweat glands, anything to let that out. And what breeds of pigs do you, do you raise? Uh, we do Duroc and Hereford males. Uh, we have Duroc Hereford females. We have uh, Hampshire, Yorkshire cross females, what we call blue butt, and we also have Hampshire females. Okay. And the, all of them um, old the, line. Old the line Durocs that, that we've seen have giant ribs. Um, mm-hmm. Is that something that's part of the breed, or I mean, I, I, it just seems always like the Duroc ribs are, are bigger ribs, and I don't know if it just happens to be the ones we eat, or if it's if it's natural. Well, a lot of the modern hogs have been bred, you know, leaner meat, you know, bigger, you know, pork chops, you know, longer ribs, I get more ribs out of them, um, and that came with the P train influence, you know, that was you know, the other white meat came in so it was made for better cuts less fat and um which that took away the flavor as you go in the grocery store you see a pork chop put it in the pan it's no flavor you know in it so that kind of was that replicated too and, and one of the things that that we've always loved about the whole hog cooking is the whole use of the whole animal mm-hmm. you know and and the zero waste that comes from it and part of that is a south carolina tradition of hash and mm-hmm. hash over rice um, before we get to Hector's hash and rice, which is a little more modern take, I think, on things. Marvin, did you grow up with hash and rice? Was that something that you guys made on the farm yeah, a lot? Yeah, we pretty much use the whole animal. Whether, you know, we make a head, hash from the head. Um, we also use the feet, barbecue pig feet. Like, that is something we eat also. Even, like, when we process hogs for the family, you know, we use the intestines, we use the stomach. I don't... And we use the lungs for rice pudding. We use liver for rice. It's, it's nothing we don't use. So, so what what do you think about this guy's hash since you're using it's, it's more traditional? Is it's it good? It's a good hash, yeah. If Marvin approves of it, then you know you're doing something right. Because <laughs> yeah. you probably know your hash pretty well having grown up with it. Hector, let's, we've got to get into the hash because it's one of the things we probably talked about on the show more than anything else over the last year. Yeah. Um, was, was that hash that we had last year at Palmyra. Um, tell us about your process for, for making hash. So the process of hash, the way we do it is we smoke the heads and then from there we'll pull the meat and then from there we'll make the hash from that. That's essentially step by step. Um, and we add our own type of flavors in there. We put vinegar on it, and it just comes out good. It's just a good product. By own type of flavor, he means he's not telling you what he does <laughs> because it's too good and he doesn't want to give it away, <laughs> nor should he. Right. It's, it's, it's a deep, rich flavor, and it's a deep, rich color. Yeah. And, and like, your hash is instantly recognizable. Um, you know, some of them are kind of have a greener tint. I think that was the one at Heights. Yeah, I mean, it just um, depends on what you're flavoring with. Tint. That, you know, it's going to add that color and that flavor. Yours almost looks like a gumbo roux. It's so dark on a lot of your hash that you that you make. Yeah. But yeah, it's if uh, if anyone in Charleston has not had a chance to have hash and rice from Palmyra Barbecue, you're missing out. Be on the lookout for what's coming up with Palmyra, which we're about to get to. But let's start off as as you launched your business here in Charleston. What was, what was your original idea or plan of what the what Palmyra Barbecue was going to be? So, growing up with a family uh, that is really tight-knit, my family, and uh, we always uh, share food in a big table, and that represents a lot to me because that's what I'm trying to translate into my restaurant. Um, essentially, you coming in and you feel like you're family, at the restaurant and also having great food. Because every time you're in your mom's house, or grandma's house, that's the best food, right? So we're trying to provide the best quality food. And the way we do that is by sourcing the best. You start with the best product, you end with the with a better product. And that's our philosophy since day one. Um, I've only cooked uh, Heritage Hogs from Marvin since day one, that was the plan. I mean, there, there was no plan B. It's only plan A, and, and it's providing quality, uh, using techniques, evolving, evolving. We do have, have evolved and tremendously, and we still evolve and finding better ways to do things and little techniques and different things that we can improve. Uh, but in the end of the day, it's always going to be a great product, just like I said, because we started with a great product. 
So, you know. Just don't mess it up and get out of the way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, it's really hard. I mean, it's just, it tastes good already. The meat is good. It's good quality. Um, we do the same thing with beef. We, we source really good beef, and it's just, it just works out in the end, you know. And, and as we kind of go through your menu and, and your, your background from Puerto Rico, we have to talk about Puerto Rican beans. Yeah. yeah. So tell us about the beans and, and what's in them and how so, you make them. So the Puerto Rican beans are a house staple. I mean, growing up, that was something that we would eat almost every other day. So it just felt natural to have it in the menu so people can have the same experiences. Um, and, and that has evolved to having more Puerto Rican items in the menu. You guys tried yesterday the Pionono sausage, which is in the menu as well. And uh, uh, t tell, the, tell the folks listening what Pionono is. It's a traditional so is a traditional dish, dish that has um, maduros, which is like sweet plantains. It has beef. It has cheese. Um, some egg in it, uh, but that's not noticeable. And yeah, pretty much that's the dish. And, and the beef is cooked with sofrito and has all the components. So I just basically deconstructed that and made it into a sausage, essentially. Delicious sausage, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we had it last night. It was phenomenal. You taste all those flavors in there, you know, and, and it is. It's one of those things that, like, if you never had that dish before, you're still going to enjoy it. But if, if you've had that dish before, it's going to bring back a whole lot of those food memories for you. And that's... That's one of the things that, that I enjoy about your cooking is, is that you know it comes from a personal place. You know, yeah. Everything you're cooking comes from something that's either you grew up with or you got influenced by. Yeah. Tell us about the, the beef cheeks on the menu because that's another one of the big So, so the meats. beef cheeks for us, um, we, we smoke them, then it goes through a confit. But the most important part about the beef cheeks uh, is the seasonings that we use. So it has sazon. So we put different seasonings in there that you normally will not see in uh, brisket or beef cheeks or beef ribs or uh, it's not just salt and pepper and lorries. I'm gonna tell you right now. It has definitely more layers of flavor. Uh, yes, the confit is gonna mellow down some of that flavor down, but it has those layers of flavor. Uh, I think it's a superior cut to me. And also there's a, a really critical question that I always ask myself. If everybody's using brisket, what's happening to the beef cheeks or the other cuts, undersizable cuts that nobody's using? So there's just a pile of beef cheeks in a warehouse. Just being, who's gonna use that? Right. So for us, it's a more sustainable way also to use that product that nobody else is using, and and it has, has a lot of collagen. It's like eating fatty brisket all the time. I mean, I think it's great. Yeah, for a lot of people that that haven't had beef cheek, I mean, it's. It's similar to brisket. It's similar to a beef rib in a way. Yeah. Um, it's just very it, luscious. Like it's got so much intramuscular fat, and it's and it's just so. It, it's hard to describe if you've never had it, but it's one of those memorable bites of barbecue. If it's done well, right. I, I honestly, at this point, and part of it is we're spoiled and we eat so much brisket because we're from Texas. But I'm more interested in eating beef cheek right now than I am brisket. Yeah. And it, and it's not gamey flavor or anything like that. It right. doesn't, or, and it doesn't have an offal flavor like like the, the liver or any other. No, thing. it's. I mean, I, I, I hate using the term umami because it does get overused. But yeah. but there is an umami gelatinous flavor to yeah. to a beef cheek that that's really darn good. Let's switch it back over to uh, to peculiar pig. You guys are doing some events and stuff on you know around the farm. I, I saw you guys did a Christmas event with Hector fairly recently. What's kind of the plan? Are you planning on doing that on a regular basis, or what's the plan for Peculiar Pig in terms of events? Um, once a month, we're doing farm tours, um, and we're doing a dinner. Uh, sometimes we bring in guest chefs, and sometimes I'll do the cooking, and it's just to make people aware of what we do on the farm. They give them a good meal with it right away. And, and you're about, what, maybe an hour north of Charleston? Yes, yes about an hour north of Charleston. But yeah, pe people definitely. I wish we could have been in town to, to check that. You know, check out an event. It's something we're gonna have to probably plan a trip around because I would love to get out there and see. Because seeing the the different things that you're doing at the events is really interesting. Are you doing whole hog at every event, or is it just depend on what you're cooking that day? Is it different for every event? I think whole hog has been at every event so far. Um, we're gonna do some different things coming up, but um, so far whole hog's been at all of them. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, Hector, let's talk a little bit about, I mean, so you start, you launch the business, mm -hmm. you're hustling pretty much everywhere around town, you know, pop-ups, you're at the food hall for a while, you were working like 20 hours a day, seven days a week, mm -hmm. you're still alive, so somehow it didn't kill you, <laughs> but, uh, 
but but you've got some plans coming up for for a permanent location in Charleston. What can you tell us about it? So yeah, we uh, we're super excited to be having our own uh, location coming up. It's going to be in West Ashley. It's a great neighborhood. Uh, that community has supported us uh, greatly on pop-ups, and we just want to make a real down-to-earth barbecue joint. You know, uh, we're going to have whole hog every day. We're gonna have oral staples uh, that people uh, get to love, and we're gonna expand, obviously, the menu on the sides and have more Puerto Rican sides. Um, we're talking about doing uh, probably gizzards with rice, and uh, which Marvin is a super fan yeah. of. His favorite dish. <laughs> I, I saw Marvin light up as yeah, soon as he said that. <laughs> His favorite dish. We have done it in uh, in the farm events, and um, and yeah, so. The, the, the restaurant is going to be, it's going to have a bar and it's going to be pretty much counter service. You come in and, uh, hey, what meat do you want? And we'll slice it up for you or pull it and, and uh, serve you the sides and bring you up and you can sit down and have a great uh, platter or a great plate of barbecue. So the, the gizzards and rice, is there, is there a sauce or a gravy that goes Yeah, yeah. So it is. Because I'm imagining this right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so this is, uh, we do it with uh, sofrito. Uh, it has tomato sauce and seasonings, so it's really simple to the core. Uh, but we do put um, lard in it, cooking uh, in that aspect too, but we boil them first. So they get boiled. We have tried confit before and head fat, uh, but I think boiling is the best result for it. And then from there, we will put it into the sauces. And that over white rice, I mean, it's, it's hard to beat that. I'm going to tell you right now. It's a really great... And the gizzards are whole or are they shredded? They're whole, yeah, they're whole gizzards. Um, last time we made them, we, we got some uh, from Marvin's farm um, and we made them and they're super big, really nice. And, and uh, the texture that you get from that is just, I mean, it's Marvin's favorite. It is. Uh, by the, I mean, it's just unreal. And it's something that we're gonna, we haven't really put it on the pop ups yet. We haven't really, like, it's just, we're gonna leave it for the restaurant. It's just gonna be superb. I mean, it's really great. Are there any, because I mean, obviously you've got such a rich history of growing up. I mean, you told some stories on our last episode about growing up with your, your grandmother's cooking. Yeah. Is there any more of that that you're going to try to bring into the menu, like those those Puerto Rican staples that you grew up with? Yeah, I think like if we can bring it in a sustainable way for the operation and it works inside of ecosystem of the operation is the main thing. Because we're known to like make use everything that we have. I mean, and if we can incorporate it and it's not adding like extra stress to the operation, then yes, we will. But there's some things that like, gizzards for example, that we're like, we need to have this in the menu. It's just insane, you know? But uh, yeah, there's going to be, there's going to be more things coming. I, I mean, I'm asking for selfish reasons. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. There's, there's definitely going to be uh, more stuff in the menu that we're going to be putting for sure. I just dream of barbecue pastelas for Christmas. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just think that. it needs to be a thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do. We can do that. But that's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's a lot of work. And talking about introducing foods and, and bringing new foods to the menu, as you built your business here, what was it like trying to introduce people to your food and your style of cooking? Um, you know, Charleston is, of course, a foodie city, but yeah. you're bringing something that some people may have never had. Well, to be honest with you, we got welcome real quick. As soon as people try the food, they're like, oh my God, this has like great flavor. It wasn't even that it was barbecue. It was just, it was good food, you know? And then doing the bubbles and everything, obviously the, the barbecue is a vehicle and uh, it helps you in, in many ways. And, you know, and I love smoking, I love cooking with fire, but, and I love the process, but people can see that process. They can see the product, they can see the process when they taste it. You know, they're like, oh man, this is like insane. And it's, um, I mean, we haven't had, you know, nobody said, man, this wasn't good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, thankfully, you know, everybody was like, man, this is great. And it has to do that. Uh, we really care what we do. It has sold. I mean, we really care. We're seasoning this thing with love. One of the things that I, that I really love about barbecue is that one bite of barbecue, there's like a thousand years in there. You've got the salt, the trees that have grown, yeah. the animal that's been raised. And when you take one bite, it's that combination of all of those years yeah. and, and the age of the pitmaster and, and the farmer. All of those things end up in that one bite. And I, and I think they all do play a part. You know, using the right wood, the right seasoned wood, oh, all of that. Th th there may be no better example of it than the two people sitting on this couch right now of everyone having a role in the process, everyone having a passion for what they bring to yeah. that part of the process. 
and then the end result is what the customer eats on the plate. And that's you know that's kind of why we started this goofy show all these years ago, was was because we like those stories and we think those stories need to be told. You know, it's not just I sit down and get my plate of food. There's a lot that goes into that plate of food that you get. And, and Palmyra is probably one of the hardest restaurants for us to describe um, because you're not doing this one little pocket of barbecue, whether that's Texas or North Carolina or South Carolina. We've been in an ungodly amount of ride shares the last few days. and. The topic eventually gets to barbecue every single time with the driver, and you know we ask them, you know, what what places have you been to around the area, and then and we, we tell them about you, and and they're like, oh, I've heard about that. Is that is that more Texas or is that more like South Carolina? I'm like, how do I answer that? Yeah. I'm, I'm like, it's neither and it's both. Yeah, I feel like the barbecue should reflect the uh, the pet master or the chef. I mean, it should. It should reflect that, not be in a box. You shouldn't be in a box, you know. Uh, you should, you should be, you should dare to experiment. You should like try to break the borders and uh, try to do, you know, use what's good. Like if I find a technique in Texas that I like and it works for the my essentially my operation, then I'm gonna use it because it's a superior technique. I'm not gonna, oh, that's not. That's not Carolina. I cannot go and do that. You know, I feel like that's a silly way to look at it. Some things don't reinvent the wheel, but bring in your culture and bring in your heritage and your touch to it as well. Yeah, I mean, what what is the definition of barbecue? What what it can be? You know, that that's the question that uh, up and coming pitmasters should be asking themselves. Uh, what is the legacy you're going to leave behind? What product are you using? Um, it's you know, it's, that's that's a question and. Does barbecue really needs to be cheap with all the work that goes into it? I mean, barbecue should be one of the most expensive meals you go and get. I mean, because the work that goes behind it from the farmer to us, great barbecue shouldn't be cheap. And uh, that's something that I stand by and I stand behind my product. And when I, you know, it's just, it's just natural. Going back to the product you're using, um, Marvin, what are some of the other restaurants around Charleston or around the South Carolina area that are that are sourcing from Peculiar Pig Farms? Um, Lenore, Butcher and B. Um, are they doing chops or what are they? What are they usually? Uh, doing? Everybody else is doing parts okay. besides Hector, which helps out a whole lot. The whole, um, um, I think it's pronounced Zhao Bao. Um, the establishment, post house, I'm gonna forget somebody, I know. But but there's a, the good thing is they're putting it on their menu and you'll yeah. see it on the menu. Well, I, I was gonna say, yeah, you look for peculiar pig farms uh, exactly. and that, yeah. you'll see that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah and that's, that, that's what you really wanna look for. And you're seeing that more and it's nice to see on restaurant menus, not just peculiar pig, but if you're sourcing from a responsible place, these, these restaurants are saying this is where it's coming from because I think we are in an era where a lot of consumers are starting to care more about where their food comes from, and that's a great thing, because for the longest time, it ended up being a mass-produced product that was coming yeah. from the same few conglomerate processors, and you lost a lot of the flavor in that meat. You really did. Yeah. So another thing about your business is that you built your own pits. I do, yeah. So let's talk about the pit building, kind of how that started, and then how that impacts what you're cooking and, and how you're cooking. So I feel like uh, understanding your pit, your pits and the engineering behind uh, the pits make, make a difference on your end product. So just buying a pit is not going to make you understand how the thing works. Um, so having that knowledge of building it, uh, it helps me to understand that specific pit because every pit works differently. Um, it depends on the airflow, dynamics, thickness of metal. There's just so many things. So for us, it's, um, it was crucial. It really came out of necessity. I just didn't have the money to buy pits. And I just built my own, learned how to weld, build my own pits, and it's working so far. How many have you <laughs> built so far at this point? Uh, so I got three that I built that are like my main core for the restaurant. We have built some more to sell to people, but this is the ones that I have that I, um, I have a 500, a 330, and I have also uh, a direct heat box that can fit around 660 pounds of hog in there. Wow. That's, that's a big box. Yeah. Yeah.
Where can people find you right now? I know your social media is probably the best place until the brick and mortar opens to so, find out where your events are. Yeah, we, um, we're doing a bunch of pop-ups um, around town. We're also doing some in Texas. So we're going to go up there. <laughs> Have you had, um, I, you know, obviously Truth is up here from, from Texas. Have you had any other Texas barbecue? Uh, no, actually. So influence uh, by Texas Influence, obviously Lewis Barbecue, um, and Leo, and also John Bates. I tried his stuff. Esau uh, Lamos, I tried his stuff too when he came down. But I've never been to Texas, so I've never been to a Texas barbecue joint and down the line. It, and it's what's so amazing when we see your food and when we taste your food, especially the beef cheeks. It's like this is top-tier Texas quality barbecue, but to be able to do it with basically just seeing pictures and then cooking the way you want to cook and, yeah. and, and learning. learning. Yeah. yeah, learning. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's obviously there's a lot more resources out there to learn now than there yeah. was probably 10 years ago. But you still have to put in the work and you have to learn it. And yeah, yeah. I mean, well, it, it's easy to watch a video. It's a lot harder to actually produce a product. That when I started, there wasn't really that many videos, to be honest with you, <laughs> uh, as now. Now you have like a, a, a wealth of information uh, in YouTube and every other places. But yeah, it's just trial and error, uh, caring about. And it's really just your mind, your engineering brain, like just looking at things and, and see how you can improve them and like tinkering with them. Um, just looking at it from that point of view, you can figure a lot of things out yourself. Um, and, and Marvin, you mentioned that you know you started out cooking in a, in a pit in the ground. How do you cook hogs today? Um, we still cook them in the pit. I just the, the process is a little bit different. Uh, we still cook them in the pit. We cook them on a block pit, and then um, we also have uh, some uh, propane assist that we cook on you know for catering and stuff. Like Hector, what's your least favorite thing to cook that you have to keep on your menu? Whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. We probably know where he's going with this, but it's okay. Well, no, because he doesn't cook brisket anymore, so yeah. it's not going to be brisket. Yeah, yeah. I would say the most uh, intricate and, and, and tedious one will be collards. Collard greens. Uh, it's great. They taste great. Uh, and I developed the recipe, but I get my guys to cook that. Uh, Ford specifically is uh, the best one at cooking collards, uh, and he takes a lot of pride and joy in doing that. So, what's your favorite thing on your menu? To cook, uh, whole hog is is, is the, the most fun to cook because uh, it doesn't re it just requires skill, and but it, it kind of you know you leave it alone. You know you, you 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 get on and you put the coals and you leave it alone and you know you check on it every hour and you know. <laughs> but it's definitely the most uh, demanding and, and uh, exercising, you know, essentially you got to be putting wood into the barrel, shoveling, coming in. So the labor on it is uh, it's intense. Yeah. Was there anything that you learned cooking hogs that was like kind of that aha moment that... I'm not going to tell you all my secrets, but um, <laughs> yeah. um, there is... Um, Lowry's. There, there, there's, there's, yeah, I, I will say um, little is a lot when it comes to putting coals underneath. Uh, you don't need to overstress the meat. You can just like, you know, fire it in and kind of see the feel. Um, but one of the things also is not using thermometers. And I learned that from Marvin. And that was a big aha moment for me. Just checking the pit with your hands is actually the best way to check the pit. I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously a lot like cooking briskets as well, where, you know, when you're cooking brisket, there's, there's only two briskets on every cow and you may be cooking 20 briskets. So you're cooking at least 10, 10 different cows and every cow is different. And when you're cooking a whole hog, I mean, it's, it's the same, con same concept that every hog is different. Every hog, oh, yeah. some, some laid on their yeah. left side, like the whole comedy they used to say with brisket was, you know, right. oh yeah, this, this cow liked to lay on its left side, so therefore the left brisket is better than the right brisket. <laughs> but, but there is some truth yeah. to that in that Every animal has, has different, you know, they don't, they're not exactly alike. Yeah, you're going to get different uh, yields and, and every animal. I mean, we do yield testing a lot, and you get different yields, uh, but not dramatically, you know. But, yeah, every animal is different, eats different, but, you know, exercise is different. 
I'm pretty sure there's we some learned that with thermometers. Or... Like <laughs> yeah. we would yeah. we would try to hit thermometers and hit specific temperatures, but one brisket may be done at 190, and one brisket may yeah, be done at it, 200. It's and the to next, go, it's hard different. to go by a thermometer. It's a great indicator as a finisher, maybe, but it's really nothing beats like you developing your um, your senses to determine when it's As done. you see the colors start to yeah, change on you know, it. you can touch it, fast render, you can, you know, you can look at it, it's brown, you know, it's a, it's an interactive um, process. Two questions for you and two questions for Marvin. Same question, but gonna be completely different answers. Who, who do you consider a mentor for you and what you do, and what's a valuable lesson that you've learned in this business in the last couple of years that you've been doing this full time? Mentor as cooking barbecue? It doesn't have to be cooking barbecue. Could be in business. Could be. Uh, I would say uh, with business, will be my grandfather. So he's really business savvy. Uh, he's actually an electrical engineer, and chemical engineer, and he's uh, has taught me a lot um, when it comes to business. Uh, and what was the second question? Second question is what's a valuable lesson you've learned since launching this business? Uh, a valuable lesson is that. Putting, putting, leaving a legacy is important, okay? So putting money back into your community as much as you can and creating the best product is always gonna give you a great result and everything and life and your conscious. I can go and sleep at night like a baby. Because I, I, I know I'm doing the right thing in my head. And that's just the way I think. It doesn't mean that this works for everybody. Right. You know, it just works for me. And uh, I feel like Caring, having passion is important. Doesn't matter what level of business you're in, you have to be passionate about what you do. And at the same time, yes, money's nice and everything, but you cannot take, you cannot leave that behind. As you know, like somebody can spend it, it's just money. Uh, but you can leave a legacy behind, though. And I think that's the thing that we we learn from most of the successful businessmen, in and women in this business is that community caring for the community, and, and when you say leave a legacy, that's, that's a legitimate thing. Like, you want to leave something behind when, when, you, when you're no longer in the restaurant business, you know, hopefully retired and looking at, over the, this beautiful ocean over here in the bays, but, like, something is going to continue on and live on. Yeah, and, even if that is influencing somebody to do what I do or, you know, um, that, that, that can make an impact. Marvin, who's been a who's been a mentor for you? And I think still to the day my grandfather's, you know, the lessons that I learned from him has been the biggest influence. You know, just the hard work, the lessons he taught me about farming, and just the life lessons I learned from him. I think still to the day that's the biggest influence I had over me. I mean, far farming's in your blood. I think I read you're a what, fifth generation farmer. Yes, fifth generation. I mean, that's that's amazing, and and on the same land for for a long time, right? Yep. Correct. Same land my grandfather was on. I mean, talk about a legacy that, you know, you, yeah. you were born into that legacy of farming and now you're carrying on that legacy. What, what's a valuable lesson that you've learned in farming that, that you've taken with you and it's helped you? I think the main thing I learned from him is using what you have available to you, um, not adding extra expense. And um, even, you know, with the farmers that we deal with, um, they're doing everything the old-fashioned way. They still uh, till their crops. They don't spray chemicals on it. They go through, plow their crops. So um, I think just doing things the old-fashioned way. You know, I think that's the most important lesson I learned from him, and it helps keep costs down. You know, but using what he had because at that time he didn't have resources to money like all the other farmers did to go buy this and that. He had to make do with what he had and. By him teaching me that, I'm able to come in at a lower price point than some other uh, farmers would be able to because I don't have to go out and buy um, feed that comes in bulk on tractor trailers. And I also know what I'm feeding animals, and I don't think too many farmers can say that. I mean, that makes total sense. And because you have the hogs right there on the land, the hogs give back to the land Correct. as they're you know as they're growing and maturing as well. And so it is it is this whole process of <laughs> The land nourishes the hogs, the hogs nourish the land, sure. and, the, and the other animals as well. So it, it is kind of one of those like cycle of life things that if, if you're responsibly raising and responsibly harvesting and responsibly sourcing what you're doing, I mean, that's kind of like the roots of what barbecue was too. Mm -hmm. and, and it all does kind of tie together of 
using what you have. That's why, I mean, in Texas especially, we see that where most of the places, at least until recently, you use the wood that was local to your area. So different parts of Texas would use different woods that would flavor the meat because that was what was local to them. And so that it all does kind of tie in with, the, you know, with what we're seeing in barbecue. So as, as we kind of go through the scene, you've got the restaurant coming up. What do you see in barbecue? Is anything going to change over time? I mean, as you mentioned, barbecue has gotten more expensive. The, you know, the pigs have gotten better. Is is it going to continue to change, or is it kind of leveled out a little bit? I feel like as long as, as people that are trying to push their boundaries and um, and are passionate, there's always going to be change. Um, there's always good keeping the, the things that work um, and looking at more efficient ways to do things. Um, a big thing you see now, it's uh, a lot of people doing instead of like just doing Texas barbecue and trying to do brisket, mac and cheese, and you know, cornbread, whatever, whatever bread, whatever it is, they try to uh, just be who they are, like genuinely. Like they'll be inspired by it, but they'll do, I don't know, they'll, they might be from Israel and they want to do like what they grew up eating and put that as a side and Right, that's, maybe, been, that's been the most exciting thing about barbecue yeah, yeah. the last few years. It's just not the same thing. And uh, I feel like that, you're starting to see that movement in many places, um, in different big cities and everywhere. Well, I mean, because we're, we're a country full of different backgrounds and people bringing yeah. their food into barbecue. At the end of the day, you are who you are. Yeah. And you cannot change that and you cannot pretend to be somebody else. So you have to embrace that. And I feel like that's, that's one of the best um, things that barbecue is an avenue. It's a way to, to, to express yourself. And it's definitely, uh, it was something that allowed me to be creative, you know? It's a vehicle. Just to reset, because we are live here at the Podcast Cafe at the Culinary Village with Charleston Wine and Food. In Gale Force Winds. In Gale Force Winds. <laughs> uh, and we are here with Hector Garate from Palmyra Barbecue and Marvin Ross from Peculiar, Peculiar Pig Farms. Um, and these two gentlemen have been working together from day one of Hector's business, basically. Yeah. Uh, and from Marvin... From, from birth, basically, has been has been raising these hogs, and his family's been raising these, you know, farming this land forever. And so, what do you see in terms of sustainability in terms of barbecue? There's a certain price point people are aren't going to pay for barbecue, and it's we're, we've gotten to that point in Texas where people are trying to find creative uses for items on their menu. What are some specials you think you could bring into barbecue that would lend value to? Because you may not sell 300 pounds of hog in one single day yeah where does that hog get repurposed to to number one to not have any waste and to give value to the customer and value to your business so i think like if you think like a butcher sometimes you know you get really creative in ways of using things um and to me like so we use all the bones and we make a stock and that stock goes into a lot of our items we cook uh the rice with that stock we use it for uh the collard greens, and then we got the heads, we use that for hash and rice, and then we, we got the ears that we sell as duck treats, so now the duck treats are paying for the head, and this, you know, it's yep. a whole cycle of finding ways to make money, and maybe think outside the box a little bit uh, to be able to, to use a sustainable product and at the same time make money. I, I think it's, it's a big lesson for those that are in the business or want to get into the business, like, sustainability and, and use of the whole animal is not just about sustainability. It's also about profit and it's understanding. Like you said, I mean, the fact that you're selling the, the, the pig ears and that's helping pay for the heads, I mean, that's, that's huge. And the other thing is to the, the whole hog is the most expensive item in my menu. So it's not like just because it's beef, it needs to be the most expensive. I mean, in reality, the whole hog is the most intense labor of all of them and and the gills obviously are different and all this and that so it is what it is i mean it's just that's what it costs Absolutely. if not somebody will stop doing it and then that that just dies out because nobody's you know but at the end of the day it's a superior product so people love it they can taste it and since day one they've been buying it and it just hasn't been something that they say no I don't want that it's like I, that's my bread and butter like they buy it and it's like so you know if it works why why you need to fix it there's nothing to fix it's already great you know so let's let's kind of jump outside of barbecue just a little bit 
I, I know that's what we love so much, but we're in Charleston. What do you like to eat out other than barbecue? Seafood. Seafood. Any, all seafood? Uh, yeah, I love fish. Um, Any love, restaurants you want to shout out? Um, yeah, uh, Chubby Fish. Uh, there's, I like oysters too, you know. It's, um, so yeah, I love eating fish. I think it's, um, it's one of the things I really enjoy because I'm around a lot of meat all the time and taking that break and just eating something. Um, I like going to Bowens Island too. It's great. So yeah, pretty much. And Marvin, how about you? Other than other than hog, what do you like to eat? I, I would say seafood too. Normally, when I go out, it's mostly like a fried seafood platter or something like that. So I'll probably say seafood. Yeah. I think that's a great thing about seafood. Like that's basically so all many we've ways eaten to have since it. we've been here. If it's not barbecue, it's been seafood the entire yeah. time. Because yeah, I mean, look where we are. We're right, we're right here. It's local. What are some of your favorite things about cooking barbecue in South Carolina? Like, what, what have you drawn from South Carolina that's influenced your barbecue? Other than, obviously, the hog. But what, what's influenced you from... Uh, from the collards, here? the hash, and the hog is the, is the biggest influences. Uh, but, obviously, making it my way and the way I was season things. Um, and it has worked out. I mean, it's just a, a different, unique flavor. People tell us all the time, this is the best collards we ever had. And it's not... It's not because there cannot be any, you know, it's, it just has to do with all the flavor that you get from it. Yeah. You know, and they're like, oh, man, this is so good. Because, I mean, usually people, they'll cook collars and they will not flavor them enough or whatever. They just look at it as a side. You need to put love into every side. Like, it's your main, your main dish. Like, if you think about it that way, like, if you try it and it doesn't open your butts and it doesn't get your brain going, like, you don't need to have it in your menu. As simple as that, you know? So that's why we always had only four sides because we dialing them real good. And when you try, it's like, oh, wow. Like, but every time we put a side in the menu, it has to have that effect for us, especially for me, my, my palate, you know? I think that's obviously what makes Palmera Barbecue unique is that you brought in your, again, you know, your culture, your history, and your flavor profile that you prefer and you're adding it to the menu, and it's not just a copycat of 27 other places across town. Yeah, and, and it's my palate, too. Like, those recipes were developed by me for my palate, and it's the way I like things to, to taste. So that's just, it just helps, you know? What's, what, what's the end goal for Palmyra Barbecue? Other than leaving a legacy, what would, what would you like your customers to leave your restaurant and say? This is the best barbecue I ever had. In, in essence, that's, that's a lofty goal. It, it is. Yep. It is. But um, if you don't think that way and you don't push to do that every day and you don't have it in your head, it's never going to happen. You need to have it in your head. Maybe you, you know, you're trying to, if you're trying to get here, you might end up here, but you always got to try to be here. And that's just uh, the reality. You always got to strive for to be the best at what you do. I don't care what you do. And Marvin, what do you see for the future for Peculiar Pig Farm? What, what would you like to, to grow into? I just expand, you know. Um, I'm trying to come more vertically integrated, working on trying to get a butcher shop now. Uh, we're looking at a building that we're looking at purchasing, so I guess that would be the last step before everything's pretty much streamlined. And has, and, and I'm, I may be ignorant to it at this point, is it because I know independent farming has had its challenges, both like with regulations, with 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 not getting assistance from you know from governmental places. How's it been farming and being an independent local farmer? You know, what are some of the challenges that you go through? Well, that is one of the things. Um, if you have processing facilities, they'll give you money to expand upon it, but they won't give you money to actually start up. You know, a lot of grants were coming down for, you know, the help processing, but in order to get those grants, you have to have processing already. So we're working on getting the building right now, and then we're going to go bit by bit trying to get that situated. Yeah, and we hope to see that's something that does continue to change and get better because yeah. we need more independent farming, yes. and yes. we need less of the mass-produced yes. packing plants that, that unfortunately, yeah. our country's gotten to the last... Yeah. Well, you've seen, you've seen the high-rise pig facility in, in China, China that they built. I just saw that two days ago. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's going to be 1.2 million hogs a year. Yeah, so, yeah, it's like, it's gonna, like 
10 stories or some crazy height. Yeah. And it's just all, all pig harvesting. Right. And, and not to get too far into the minutia of that, but just think about the life cycle of that animal that's going through that versus, versus what your animals, the life that they live, you know, on the farm, free roaming, eating quality feed. And it turns into a much better end product that you know that the consumer gets to eat. But we need to get more further away from from what we're doing now and more towards what Peculiar Pig is doing. And I think we'd all be eating a lot better. Well, you know, at A and M when we went through barbecue camp at A and M in Texas, um, they talked about the harvesting process and yeah. how that's changed and how the cattle are are much calmer now. And you know, it, it it's something that has to be done. You have to slaughter the animal, but the way it was done before it was in a line and they could you know they could see the cattle and they were moving and nervous and that changed the end product because all i don't know the the science of that but all of those uh, you stressed cattle and then you harvest them it wasn't as good as 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 how they do it now they say it's almost completely silent and just the inhumanity of it i mean this again it's the cycle of life, it's the food chain, how it works. But there's responsible ways to, to raise animals, responsible ways to process animals. And, and hopefully, you know, as we support more local farming, we're going to get back to more of that. And it's going to be better for all of us in the long run. So let's support more small business, whether that's farming, restaurants. There's a thousand restaurants probably here at this village over the next few days. And you know, the influx of tourism that comes into the city, they have an opportunity to, to learn more about the, you know the agriculture of Charleston and South Carolina and this area in the Low Country, and they get a chance to to try food that they've never tried before. Whether that's you know hash and rice from Hector, or even if it's an old school place in the middle of South Carolina that they've never been to. There's there's so many options of great places to eat barbecue and otherwise in this area. So, gentlemen, we can't thank you guys enough for being here with us today. Hector, as you know, we've been a huge fan of yours from the second we ate your food. Um, it's exciting to see you go to brick and mortar. You've been championing this man's food or this man's hogs from day one. So one of the first things you told us was was where where your pigs come from and, and how responsible responsibly raised they are and and why they're as good as they are. And so Marvin, it's great to finally meet you and get to hear more you of your too. story. So thank you, gentlemen, for being with us, and we will talk with you next time. Yep. Thanks to Charleston Food and Wine, and great to see you guys out and. It, again, it, it, once you learn the end-to-end of what goes into the product, it, it makes the experience of eating the product become a deeper experience. And so thank both of you for being on, and we'll talk again. Thank you so much.